Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo, welcome to Gegen Pressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn, and joining me, as always, is Chris Williams. Chris, how are you? Bryce, very busy this week, but I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Yeah, you've been very active online, haven't you? But yeah, all seems good here as well. Um, oh, well, joining us, as always, is uh, Manu Vet. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm very busy, just like uh, Chris. A lot happening um, over the last three, four days. So yeah, I've been... Been uh, trying to keep up with everything. Well, that's it. Even when there's not league matches, which we're desperate to have back um, at all costs. But uh, there's still plenty to report, isn't there? And plenty to explain, I think, this week. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to start off with uh, a team that are getting uh, plenty of press uh, at the moment. And, and we thoroughly enjoyed watching them this year in the league. And that's RB Leipzig. So, um, uh, Manu, we're, we're just going to... Um, we're going to explain a little bit. I mean, they've been in the press plenty, haven't they? Uh, everyone knows what, what that's been about. But, um, yeah, they're, they're not exactly a, uh, a normal club, are they? And we, we feel on the podcast that we should, uh, really explain, you know, a little bit about them, a little bit how the clubs run. Cause we, you know, we, we don't really see clubs set up like this normally, do we? Yeah. Um, it is a very, very different club. And I mean, that's because of the, the way it's structured, the way it was founded, the, the way it's, it's built, um, the way it's organized. And, uh, that makes it very different when, you know, we all know what the main topic has been and, um, Navy Keita and the transfer. And it's been a very different transfer story in a lot of ways. And I don't want to get into the transfer itself. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about why it has been so different. And um, one of the things that was of note today was that there's been a lot of talk in German, in England, but no talk in Germany. And that's because the, the way this club is structured, the power base of this club who holds what and who can who controls the decision making in the sporting aspects uh, is very important and that man is Ralph Rangnick of course and Ralph Rangnick um, has been a decision maker at Red Bull Sports or Red Bull Football since 2012 now back then this was a very different setup Um RB Leipzig and RB doesn't stand for Red Bull in the case of Leipzig. It stands for Rasenball Sport. I know it's a very convenient way of shortening 
into a way so that we all think of a different brand, but that's what it actually stands for. The RB in Leipzig is not Red Bull. And there's very good reasons for that. And I'll get into that in a moment. But back in 2012, Ralph Rangnick, and he just had left Schalke at this point as the head coach, he became the sporting director of Red Bull football. Now these, the, back then that was the, Red Bull Salzburg, of course, which is different than Leipzig. They actually carried Red Bull in the name, except for UEFA matches. Then uh, Red Bull New York, of course, the Major League Soccer franchise. There's an academy in Brazil, um, which is very important because, of course, there's players like Bernardo that have come out of that. There's an academy in Ghana. And then there's various youth projects around Germany and um, Austria that are all under this umbrella. So he was was put in charge of that. That setup worked quite well until RB Leipzig outgrew the project. Um, the idea, of course, was that RB Leipzig would be pushed into the Bundesliga and become this the flagship club of Red Bull. You know, even though it doesn't carry the Red Bull name in it, it still would have become the flagship club. And here, the, the important part is the the ownership, Dieter Mateschitz, um, an Austrian who took the Red Bull brand and created basically, more, you know, out of a Thai soft drink that didn't even have gas in it. It was a, um, a flat Thai soft drink, and the only thing that he added was gas, so that it would become fizzy. And then he took on big companies like Coca Cola and Pepsi and created this mega brand. And the, the, by the way he did that is because he made this brand hip. Now, the, and all the sports that he invested, the, the big, there was always two factors to be hip, to be different than everyone else and to be very successful. So he, he decided football would be a way to go. The problem was, of course, with Red Bull Salzburg, that Austria is only as big of a platform. So he quickly, lost lost belief that he could actually get into the Champions League on a regular basis and win the Champions League. That has been his open goal, that one of his Red Bull clubs win the Champions League. So that's when he targeted the Bundesliga and that's when he brought in a guy like Ralph Rangnick to make this project happen. So in 2015, Ralph Rangnick became the main man at Leipzig. He had to give up all his other Red Bull jobs because of the DFL structure. Because Leipzig all of a sudden were a DFL-governed team. Rangnick could no longer be the sporting director of more than one club in order for Red Bull, for Rasenball Leipzig to get the license to play in the Bundesliga 2 at the time. But this means that, you know, Dieter Mateschitz basically gave him 100% control of how the club is run. In Leipzig, he betrusts him 100%. And because of that, that means that Rangnick is the most important person when it comes to any decisions that are made. There's always a lot of talk about, about Oliver Minzlaff, right, Chris? The, uh, what we call in German, the Geschäftsführer or CEO, but he is only on the business end. And I mean, Chris, we've both talked about Ralph Rangnick quite a bit in podcasts in the past, but he is such a key figure at this club. And I think, it's probably one of the only teams in the world where the sporting director has way more decision-making than anyone else involved in the decision-making process of the club. Yeah, and, and I think we've talked about a great length and um, I had a chat this morning with um, Raph Hartenstein as well uh, about that and he, uh, he reaffirmed that situation that Leipzig are a very strange club um, in the fact that uh, Ragnick 
although he is a sporting director, he and money quite right. He is he is the head man um, of of the, the you know, different boards around there. His management boards because the structure of fifty plus one and the way that they just about adhere to it. There's a structure within the club, but he. If you look at if it was to be a pyramid, he wouldn't be at the top, but his weight carries the most, his voice carries the most, um, which is why I think he's been so vociferous um, in all of the conversations that we've heard so far. Yeah, I think that's the thing too, and he has the ear of Dieter Mateschitz, right? And um, Mateschitz wants this brand to succeed. What we said, maybe saying he wants to create a super club is the wrong term, but He wants this to be successful. And again, right, the things that stand out in any Red Bull brand, and we've seen Red Bull in Formula One, where they've been very successful. We've seen them in all sorts of other sports. We've seen them in hockey. They're very big in hockey, which, of course, in the United Kingdom isn't that big of a sport, but it's an important sport in Germany and Austria, and they've been very successful in that. And they've always been... They're always thinking a little bit outside the mainstream. And that's one thing that sets, that's very important for the Red Bull brand is think outside the mainstream. But this is the most important thing when it comes to Red Bull success. And we mean success at the highest level. They may openly say, well, we are still a small club. We're still growing. We still, you know, we don't want to openly challenge Bayern. But in reality, and this is, this has been a, a media topic now for quite some time in Germany. We all know that's not true. Dieter Mateschitz has never done something halfway. It's either in all the way or not at all. And this is, this is really what sets them apart too. Um, in terms of money, they're completely independent of making any kind of transfer gains. You know, they, they can hold out on, Whatever, because they, they are so well backed. And, um, Mateschitz is not the owner who says like, well, we could make a lot of money here. This guy is not in for that because he sees the value, um, of the club as an, almost as an advertisement tool, as something that makes the brand bigger. And he believes that making, you know, X amount on a player doesn't necessarily make him money as a brand because, He'd be way better represented as a brand going into the round of 16 of the UEFA Champions League rather than making a little bit of a few million dollars on selling a player. And I think that means makes it very different. And, um, the fact that he gives the most trust to a sporting director as the person who's the decision maker shows that in a way. So, uh, I mean, Manu, when, when it comes to, uh, you know, choosing who comes into the club and and who would leave the club who is the final say on that well the absolute final sale say would be with ralph rangnick um there is of course various various people that make decisions but ralph rangnick is the go-to person now chris is quite right the higher he is set up that he is not the number one person um there is people technically above him or you know the owner the, the owner of Red Bull, Dieter Mateschitz himself. But when he took on this project, one of the things that he had done previously was being with Hoffenheim for quite some time. And at Hoffenheim, it all fell apart because a player was sold, Luis Gustavo, from, to Bayern, against his will. So when he was, when he signed on for this project, And this is, this is hearsay. So 
you know, this is one of the things that has been commonly put up, spoken about, um, was that this would not be a situation that he would find himself in with this, that he would be given the final say on who comes in and who doesn't in terms of who's playing on the field, what players they want, what players he can target, what players he can hang on to. And I think that is, that makes this, uh, very unique because in many scenarios, the sporting director doesn't have this kind of power. But Ralph Rangnick was lured into this job with the belief that he will have that kind of power. So that makes, that makes it a little bit unique. And that means that, you know, he does have to talk to other people, but he can in the end of the day say, well, I don't want to do this. God, I can only imagine with uh, him being involved with Hoffenheim and uh, with RB Leipzig that uh, surely it must be a rather un- unpopular figure in, in German football with uh, both those sides, um, well, both claiming that they're the most hated. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, Chris, uh, we've spoken about Ralph Rangnick quite a bit. And remember when we went to Leipzig, we saw him sitting there and he was very much the observing role um you know, the overlord almost when he was at the press conference in the background watching it all. But there has been a lot of talk um, recently. And, you know, the 1860 right now is a talk with investors and the guy that come, is coming in, he says, we need someone like Ralph Rangnick because Ralph Rangnick can build clubs. Remember, he brought Hoffenheim to the status that they are now. He put in all those professional structures he did something very similar in his very first job back all the way in the 1990s, early 2000s with Ulm, a club that no one knows uh, even exists anymore, right? Because it's, it was a very small team. And he brought them to the Bundesliga and um, he was the first coach to play with four men in the back on a consistent basis to get rid of the Libero, which back then was a blasphemy in German football. So, you know, he is a builder, he is a creator, he's a visionary. And so people really respect that. And he's always, you know, been brought in as a person to, who can say like, look, we need to, we need to restructure. We need to reform something. And he's probably one of the main reasons why German football has done as well as it, it is doing now, because, you know, he was one of those building blocks, one of these early coaches, modern coaches that understood that football is different and that football in order to be successful you have to play it a little bit different than what the mainstream is doing and you know he's always been very adaptable and i think people people understand that about him and he under, they understand that his approach doesn't work in traditional football clubs you know he tried it at schalke and it was somewhat successful stuttgart had utterly failed and the reason for that is because he is he people often called him the professor you know because he was he has a, he has a university degree. He doesn't think like a lot of people do in football. He's very intelligent and, um, he, he was unconventional and it worked. And some people find that scary. And, but most people nowadays find it fascinating because it works. You know, it really does. And we've seen let Leipzig success last season. Yes, a lot of that was also down to his coach, Ralph Hasenhüttl. But remember, Rangnick identified Hasenhüttl as the coach who he wanted. And when he didn't get him, this is, this is how, how steadfast this guy is. When he didn't get him in the Bundesliga two season, he just coached the team himself and brought him into the Bundesliga and then hired Hasenhüttl. And these are very important things that need to be understood when it comes to Leipzig. What his character, 
he is a he's a very a man of principle and he's a man that doesn't think you know like a normal football mind usually thinks he thinks very much outside the box and he has certain principles in certain ways and that's why you know when you deal with him it can be very difficult and that's why when it first came in a lot of people saw him as an outsider and you gave him a very hard time for it but i mean success speaks for itself yeah, just for anyone uh, listening, um, we know and we've come to know that there's uh, obviously the sporting director that that makes the signings of players, uh, you know, uh, and other such jobs, and then you've got the coach who does what's uh, what we see um, uh, you know, as prominently, I suppose, the role of a manager in likes of the UK or what. So they've they've got two different positions. Just to explain, even though most of you probably know, but. Uh, Chris, um, what would you say in your time of covering uh, the Bundesliga, which is quite a few years now, uh, what's the impression you've got from, uh, you know, from, from Ragnick? What, what type of character is he? I mean, Manu seems to have described a bit of a businessman, a bit of a shrewd character, a deep thinker. Um, uh, what's the impression that he's left with yourself? Well, pretty much everything that Manu said. Um, and a man that uh, is taken by his word, Um there's a lot of people that have, have pointed towards, um, he said something similar when it was at Salzburg, uh, Red Bull Salzburg. I think we have to remember they were a different club, a different um, league tier, um, in a different situation. Um, club had gone out of the Champions League at the time. Um, so maybe he did something he didn't want to do uh, over that. But however, you know, Amani's is quite right. We sat in fact, Manu, we were about five foot away from him, weren't mm. we, when, um, when we sat and he was intensely listening to everything, um, not just that Hasselhoff said, that also Ancelotti said, and he took everything in and he stayed to the very end. Um, always struck me as a very clever man um, and a, a very clear thinker and, and probably very straight-headed and stubborn's probably the wrong word, but I think we're getting down that line um, where he's the man at the top in essence, and what he says goes. Um, and there may be people who, um, well, there are people who've said uh, the opposite to what he said, but it's always his final decision, I think, we're going. And that's probably what's caused a lot of confusion over the past 48, 72 hours, is that we're hearing a lot of different things um, that probably we're not used to hearing, Manu, are we? Well, the the things that I'm hearing, they're quite clear that, you know, he has a queer line and he's, he's set that line in public. And that's the line that I have gone with because of who he is. You mentioned the situation in Salzburg, you know, he, the, this is the stadium, the money case, right? Um, the, the situation changed for him personally there. The money that he asked for was given. And the club was no longer in Champions League contention. I mean, this is not the case this year. He, they are in the Champions League and there is no qualification. So that's, that changes the ball game completely. And I think that's, that's something, you know, um, knowing him for such a long time and knowing who he is as a character, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's believable. So I think it's, it makes it confusing because you, you get so many different information streams and there's, um, people obviously are talking within the club structure. People are mentioning this, people are mentioning that. Um, but in the end of the day, I think what he says, um, goes. And, you know, if he does 
change his mind or if he does do come out with a different uh, come out with a different solution for himself there will be a good reason for that but you know if he goes out in public and says something then that he means that and i think uh, i mean i remember that with luis gustavo when he said well if, if they're gonna sell or they're not gonna sell him because i don't want to sell him and they can't reach the targets and then um, Dietmar Hopp, the owner of Hoffenheim, sold Luis Gustavo and <laughs> the next day, um, Ralf Rangnick resigned. You know, and that is, um, that is something, you know, he's not a man who says something on negotiation tactics. It, what he says, he means. It's, and, um, that's why when, you know, certain things come out that I have said is because I do believe what he says is actually what he means. And that, that makes it maybe difficult because we, we, I know, just like everyone else, um, transfers um, often tactical. He says certain things because you want to get a better price. And I don't believe that is the case here simply because of who he is. Now, of course, there's other people in the club. There's other structures. There's other things involved. And um, things could change, not from his side, but because of, of elements in the club. But... I personally uh, think from the way his power is set up that that he will very much always have the last word on things. And while it might be a little bit off topic, uh, can I just ask a, a quick uh, question? Manu, would, the way that they're set up, I mean, uh, we said that they're not set up as Red Bull Leipzig. Does that affect um, or change the 50 plus one rule for them at all? I mean, we spoke about it plenty of times on the podcast um, and covered it, but t- does that change anything for them? <laughs> well, they read the 50 plus one, yeah. Um, there's unfortunately a lot of ways around it. The, the way you can set up a club is there's very many ways you can set up a club in a way that you can circumnavigate 50 plus one. And, um, I don't want to say they did that because that's contentious, but they have Red Bull has set it up in a way that they can control the club with and at the same time still abide to the laws of 50 or 50 plus one in German football. And, um, that I think that is really the most important part, you know, in this discussion. But, you know, Red Bull are the decision makers. This is a membership based club. Um, Rasenballsport is a membership based club. They have 17 members in the club who all end up, uh, happen to work for, for Red Bull, you know, so they are, they set up the membership fees in a way so that, you know, it's very expensive and very difficult to get in and become a member, but it, it makes it decision making wise. It makes it very easy for, for Red Bull to stay in control without uh, violating 50 plus one. So I think that's probably the best way to put it. And, um, I don't want to get too deep into that because that's an entire podcast in itself. Yeah, well, we've covered that enough. I think we'll leave that for another day. But Chris, um, just uh, one last thing on on Harvey Leipzig. Uh, I mean, we talked about the uh, the want for them to uh, establish a brand and you know become uh, well become an well, I suppose an established Champions League uh, challenging side. But you know, how much longer do you think it'll be before we see them challenging on the pitch, uh, Bayern Munich? I mean, their dominance in the league. Um, has, has been going on for quite some time now. Do you, do you see that coming in the uh, near future or do you think they've got a long way to go? I'm pretty sure they challenged him quite last year until the last four weeks of the season. Um, it'd be interesting to see how they cope with um, a midweek game in the Champions League uh, group stages, see how that affects them with their squad depth. And they have been 
Um, planning for that, they brought in a couple of new players, which will certainly add to their squad depth. Um, I think they're a, they're a team in transition, um, or in building, sorry. They're, they're a team that are building, but their, their, their route to the top of that building has come a little bit quicker than they all expected. I think if you speak to anyone in and around the club, which you have, they expected that uh, they were to be in a position qualifying for the Champions League group stage, coming second in the Bundesliga, probably in about two to three seasons. They didn't expect it in their first season. Um, so, I mean, can they challenge next year? Yeah, of course they can. They've got um, the right manager. They've got the right setup. They've got the right squad. Sorry, they've got the right coach um, setup and squad. Uh, they they can do that. Um, it'll be interesting for me watching them to see how they cope with the the rigors of the Champions League as well is something they're not used to and as we all know European football takes a little bit to get used to but they will have the they'll have the shock and all that no one will know who they are apart from obviously they're connected with Red Bull in some way um, and, and no one will be really expecting their style because you can watch the style on television and you can watch the style if you're you know in a tactics room looking back but until you get there face to face and see just how rapid their transition is when they play football um, you have to live and breathe that so I would expect many European scouts to be going to their early games um, and trying to get as much information as they can but with challenging Bayern we'll see it's a second season bounce if they can carry it on and maybe they finish third or fourth um, as well as having a good run in the Champions League then I think they can build on that and push on and push on and they're a young side with uh, you know a youngish coach um, they've got great backing and I'm sure they can probably challenge Dortmund as Bayern's main challenger, especially now with Bayern getting older. And we've talked about that in great detail, haven't we? Although they've um, they've strengthened with James Rodriguez, who we'll get onto later on. But yeah, they're, they're going to be one of the sides which will challenge Bayern from now on in. Yeah, good to hear. And it would be uh, fantastic if they could keep up that style of play. When we witnessed them this year, I mean, you were absolutely right when you were there in the stand. It, it, it was unbelievable how quick they were. And yeah, these players getting linked uh, to the various clubs uh, around Europe and the world, it comes as no surprise. They they were as, as good as, uh, as as we could possibly describe, really. They're fantastic. But um, yeah, we're going to move on now um, to, well, another bit of transfer uh, speculation, I suppose. And that would be uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Um, Chris, we'll go back to you on this. Obviously, um, you have quite an interest in... Uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, what exactly is going on with him at the moment? Is he moving? Is he not? I mean, there was talk of China, wasn't there? Um, possibly Chelsea. Um, are any of these transfers likely to happen? Um, and are they in the players' interest? That's the question, isn't it? So if we think back all the way back now, it seems like a lifetime ago, but just to um, before the Pokal final was played against Eintracht Frankfurt, um, Aubameyang said he would make a decision on his future after that. Um, and I think everybody was expecting he would go to China, probably pushed by a um, story in build um, that he would move. I think they said it was going to be PSG, which turned out to be a bit of a red herring. But we all expected him to move at some point because he sort of hinted at it throughout the season. Obviously, you remember he went on to French radio. We did a podcast about that. Um, Manny, you spoke to the French radio host, didn't you? And mm -hmm. um, we, we were pretty clear in in what he said and, and it was that he really needs to move on if he wants to take it up to the next level because he's getting a little bit older and uh, although everybody in Dortmund I don't think would want him to leave because you know 31 league goals last season um, he won the cannon um, you know Lewandowski wasn't particularly happy about that um, you know, he beat him to it by one goal um, 
but he's not moved and he's been linked with the Chinese Super League, he's been linked with PSG, he's now linked with Chelsea. Um, is this going to be a move for him that would be beneficial? Not really sure. Um, he's an out-and-out goal scorer, um, but he's not a conventional uh, number nine, really, is he? Um, he's a finisher. He's an all-round, really good, top-quality finisher. Um, but if if you're looking for a complete number nine, I don't know if he is a complete number nine. And um, Emery of PSG said something the other day, quite similar, that you know he he wouldn't he wouldn't seem as someone who he would buy. He's um, lacking in a bit of quality. Um, his hold-up play with his back to goal um, was the main problem. Um, he's been linked with all sorts of other clubs: Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, none of them have decided to join in and join that race, probably because of his age and. And because of how good he is, uh, Dortmund have, have, have slapped a, a value where they think is um, equivalent, which is around, I think it's around the 75, 80 million mark. Um, so, um, you know, and they probably could get him for around 70 if anyone was going to bargain that. But that's a lot of money for, for a guy's age. He's, he's in his prime. Maybe if we're going to be a little bit controversial, he's pushing towards the end of his prime. Um, so there's no, there's no give back. There's no resale value for that. And there's no um, six, seven year plan. So whilst I think he may like a move, I don't know if he's got any of the qualities that another club would be looking for to pay that price. Um, is he, is he value for money? I don't know. I would suspect um, he may stay at Dortmund, uh, which I think would be brilliant for him because he's a really good fit there, and he is—he's, uh, you know, the main striker. He's one of the main number one men, um, first name on the team sheet. He is an integral to the way that Dortmund play. Uh, you know, he works up well with the guys around side him. Pulisic we've seen, Dembele, Royce when he's fit. Uh, he's been—he's been fantastic for them, and I—I I feel that's such a good fit for him that if he was to move somewhere like Chelsea. I don't know if he would be able to adapt as quick. I'm not saying he wouldn't adapt. I'm saying would he adapt as quick and be as lethal? And we've all seen when players move from one league to another, if for big money, if they don't, if they don't slot in straight away and, and they don't gel, they tend to get a little bit of heat, not just from the media but from fans themselves, which in essence makes them longer to settle. And then all of a sudden they're in a, they're in a spiraling circle where they're not playing particularly well and. And they're not particularly liked. So if I was him, I would probably stay in Dortmund. But is that enough for him? I don't know. Speaking to people in and around um, Dortmund, you know, he's a bit of a, I think we would have called him years ago, a champagne Charlie Bryce in, in the UK. You know, he, he likes um, he likes nice things in life. He likes nice cars. He likes flashy watches. He likes going on lovely holidays. Um, you know, look at his Instagram. He's always in fantastic places. He's got that brand around him. Um, and I don't know if he thinks he can't live that lifestyle in Dortmund and maybe that's why he wants to move. I think he would be happy somewhere like Paris or London. Um, but if it's right for him, I'm not hundred percent sure. At the end of the day, he's a footballer um, and a very good one. And I would, I would advise him to stay put, stay where he is because he can, you know, he can help Dortmund challenge for the league next year and the champions league. Yeah, certainly a fantastic player for Dortmund. And yeah, we were looking online the other week, weren't we? Just at all the different uh, Lamborghinis, the different colours and stuff. We, we can't really decide how many he actually has. But uh, Manu, do, do you think that uh, the player is possibly... Um, well, instead of him being upset, do you think that maybe he's upset um, Dortmund with 
maybe slightly suggesting that he wanted to move away or maybe maybe not even suggesting but um not saying that he wants to commit to the club as such or do you think they're they're happy to have a, a player of the caliber that kind of kind of works and they'll be happy to to have him still in their roster i suppose yeah the reaction in dortmund has been a bit cynical about this whole uh should we call it a transfer disaster on Aubameyang's part? Because I think it was quite obvious that he thought there was so much value in him that pe- clubs would just come left, right, and center and, you know, cough up the 80 million euros and give him all this money and China and the glitz and all the glamour and the, what was it, 30 million a year salary. And, uh, in the end of the day, it was one club after another that basically said no. And, uh, even now, the, the reports that have come out with Milan, he's third on the list after Morata and uh, Balot- Jose Balotti. And um, that doesn't really speak f- for him. And the recent article by Stefan Buschko, uh, what did he write, Chris? His his skills are shrinking like the, the bacon in a frying pan. Uh, uh, yes. His transfer value is yeah, shrinking like a bacon in a frying article, pan. by the way. It's, Great uh, article. No good, one's read it. I think you should probably push that article after this podcast because it is a really good insight into him as a player yeah. and, and, and his problems. Yeah. And absolutely agree. And it's, and you know, when you, Chris, you mentioned some of these problems. He is, he's an absolute star in the Bundesliga and he's a fantastic fit for Borussia Dortmund and the way they play. Now, I personally, and I've said this before on this podcast too, I don't think his skills are transferable. Because the, the way he's, the Dortmund player is set up. And remember it was under Klopp that he was moved because he was a left winger. He was moved from the left to the center and became a striker. And then they basically build it all around him. This entire setup play, the way they move forward, the speed, using his speed to, to finish off plays, but also to find them in the box and use his, his finishing ability. And that's all, you know, this quick, the, the quick players that are around him utilizing that. And there is, that's, I, I, you can't take that and put it from Dortmund to play that, that exact way and move it to Chelsea. It, it's wouldn't work. It's a completely different way Conte plays. Conte plays a more static Italian play, you know, going back, keeping it tight and, uh, very tactically disciplined. Now in Milan, I think that he would have some similar problems. Paris Saint-Germain, Emery, you, you mentioned that. I mean, he, he right away said, no, well, no, thanks, but no thanks. China, they don't care about that kind of stuff. They just wanted his glitz and glamour. So I think he's left almost with the best option anyways, because let's look where he is at as a player. Yes, Dortmund fans have made a little bit of fun of him, and rightly so, I think. And I mean, Stefan Buschko is a Dortmund fan who has turned into an, an excellent journalist. But I think his piece points a little bit towards how people in Dortmund feel about him. And, and there is a little bit of, you know, um, irony in it that, you know, this guy with the glitz and glamour can't find another club and he, he may stand, stay in Dortmund. But that might be really great for him because he's the, arguably the, biggest star in the Bundesliga, not in terms of how he plays, but who he is as a personality. And he's definitely the biggest star in Dortmund. So, you know, he can have his glitz and glamour life in Dortmund. He can, you know, drive his 25 Lamborghinis 
and he can, you know, fly to Milan, Paris and all these other places in his private jet because Dortmund will forgive him doing that. And he can play Champions League and possibly challenge for the title, especially when you consider what Dortmund have done in the transfer window. So <laughs> I personally think he, you know, it's hard to feel sorry for him at the moment. And he's also running out of time, isn't he? Because yeah. um, he's been told that he needs to get his, um, his I'm going to say the phrase I don't like to say it normally, but he needs to get his shit in a sock quickly because if he does go, <laughs> he needs to be, re- he needs to be replaced, but he needs to be replaced like for like. Um, that's a big hole to plug. That's a 31 goal hole to plug in the league. Um, and if he leaves any later than the next week or so, it's that the time is running out for Dortmund to, to plug that hole um, with one player. I don't really know who they could get that is available at the moment that could slot straight in and do exactly the same job that Aubameyang's doing. So I don't know if it's in their best interest to let him go. Um, obviously, if the right offer comes in, I think they would let him go because of his age. Um, but I think time's desperately running out for him yeah, to make that move. July 26th is the deadline. After that, Javier Hernandez. Chicharito, get him in. <laughs> well, the big talk is Olivier Giroud, but uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. So uh, that might be a good time to move on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll move on. But I must say that I probably, um, well, I get the impression that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang probably thinks that he is the biggest star in the Bundesliga as well, but the, the way he dresses and goes about things. But, um, yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave that fellow alone. And yeah, hopefully we'll see him still in the Bundesliga next season. But, uh, we're going to talk, uh, Bruce Dortmund a little bit more, uh, in a way. Uh, Sven Bender has, uh, moved on, uh, to Bayer Leverkusen now. Um, uh, he joins his twin brother there, but a little bit, uh, reluctant, uh, of Dortmund. Uh, I, I hear Chris. Um, why were they so reluctant to let him go, and what, why is he left in the end? Well, he's a good player. I don't think you ever want to let a good player go, but um, it's it's a good price. If you've seen some of the price that some of the players have moved for in the Bundesliga, I think they've got an excellent, excellent deal for him. Um, also, now they've they've got quite a bit of money spare rolling around. Obviously, Gint has gone as well. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those where I I can understand why Gint went because there was a little bit of hesitation over whether he was really up up to it and up to you know the readiness of it. But oh, I I don't really I don't really know if this makes total football in business sense to me. Um, I'd be interested to hear your thought, Manu, on this. I, I'd say I can understand why Ginter went, but for me, Bender, I'm I'm not really sure. I mean, it's a great move for him. He's going to hook up with his twin brother again, but for, for Dortmund to let him go, I don't... I think only time will tell. Maybe the first couple of games in the season will tell. Yeah, I don't think they wanted to let him go from what I've heard. They were very, very, very reluctant to grant his wish, and they said that they only granted it because of all the things that... Sven Bender has done for the club and the things that he has gone through for the club or playing with injuries and um, being the backbone of, of a very successful team for a long time. But Sven really wanted to leave and he has to say said publicly that it has nothing to do with his brother. I, I personally find that hard to believe. I remember when he was at 1860 at the Youth Academy, him and his brother were inseparable at uh, 1860 and 
when when 1860 sold sold um Sven to Dortmund um, they actually had originally had a plan to keep Lars for another season and then the the two um had huge problems being apart um, from each other so they had to sell Lars um early to buy a Leverkusen as well and i think that's a that's a that's one factor you know that they just want to be closer you know twin twins have a different relationship with each other and the other thing is he didn't get the playing time and i think he just wanted to do, see something new now i my suspicion is that dortmund one of the reasons they let go of matthias ginter is because they knew that they had sven mender right so I think that that came a little bit left field for them. And um, I, I wrote this in the article that losing Matthias Ginter, who I think has the, the ability to be a very good center back, was maybe a mistake because, you know, um, of because of the, the, the center backs that they have now. And uh, Bosch likes to play with four in the back. Now, they still got, we've been through this, um, they sold Michael Marino, by the way, today as well. So they still got Batra, they got Socrates, they got Toprak, and then they got uh, Sagadu, right? That's four. Um, that seems like a lot, but we know that Dortmund had injury problems. So now all of a sudden you have four people playing, being able to play that position. One of them is 18. Uh, 18-year-old French guy. It could go to Dembele way, but we could also go, um, you know, take some time. So... Sven Bender was definitely planned back there. And um, I just wonder if they now get them found themselves in a situation where they will have to bring in a center back. And um, they have the cash now, right? Because they all together is 32 million euros that have come in unexpectedly into some, some ways. So I think they will, my my opinion was like, well, this is surprising because I'm pretty sure they, they planned with Sven Bender, but um, they will have to be, they have to do something now, I think, um, even, you know, the Aubameyang situation aside, but they will have to do something in that position, I think. Are there only an injury um, to um, a top rack away from a problem, I think? Um, mm. Once he came in, it was evident maybe that would be his position. He would he would challenge Bender for that. But if you look at what he's done over the last you know 12 months, he's been incredible. I was at the Alliance for the Pokal semi-final um, where he made that unbelievable block, mm. um, which was a game-winning block. Um that's the type of performance he's put in. It's interesting he's gone the other way from top rack. Um, I think they've probably got a good deal out of this. They've lost a really good um, defender, but they've also gained one, whereas I've, I feel Dortmund may have not missed a trick here, but I just worry that a, an injury to one of their starting centre-backs next season becomes a problem for them, especially after the window's closed. And, and as you say, Manu, if they're going to try and throw um, an 18, 19-year-old kid into the mix, which Dortmund are very good at and have been very successful at, I think it could be a risk in that area. If you're going to bring a forward player in um, like Dembele and give him his chance, you know, you've got a midfield and a defence um, line behind him should things go wrong. When, you're, when your kid's a defender the only thing behind him is a goalkeeper um i i'm just concerned that if they pick an injury up early doors it could be a problem or likewise if they pick up an injury late into some sort of title challenge um it, it could be something that comes around to bite them um, i'm surprised he's gone if i'm going to be truthful yeah i was surprised too definitely when i saw it 
something out of left field a little bit. But well, interesting move for him. I'm I'm curious how he's gonna get on, and seeing the twins play together will be will be definitely fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Bayer Leverkusen have got a bit of a steal there, haven't they? Um, but uh, matter, I, I asked a similar question to Chris uh, previously when Ginter um, had left. But you know, if if you were Borussia Dortmund, you had a bit of money to spend. Um, is, is there anyone you can think of? Either in the Bundesliga or anywhere else, that's that, you know, anyone, anyone that would be able to fill that role and do a, a good job for them, and is a realistic target. Yeah, I would bring in Andreas Christensen, who played for Gladbach last year, and he's uh, owned by Chelsea, right? And um, Chelsea demanded him to come back, and you know, and then Glad- the situation changed because then Chelsea brought in Rüdiger, and uh, there's a there's a chance. That, um, they don't actually need Andreas Christensen and they will, they will sell him. And that's, that's a real good center back. He's only 21. He's Danish and, um, very good player, in my opinion. One of the best center backs in the Bundesliga over the last few years, right? With both him and Gladbach. And he could be available for around 30 million euros or less, maybe. So uh, that's, that's who I would be going for. Chris, how would you feel about that one? Yeah, I think as Manu said, that'd be an, um, an excellent uh, nab if they could get him. Um, he's impressed throughout and he's at that age where he could come in because he's 21. He's experienced. Um, he could come in and, and do the job and, and would he start? Probably not, but he would be part of a squad rotation and definitely would be a suitable backup should anything happen. Um, and, and that's my only fear is that they get um, an injury and you're looking at someone who's a little bit younger, a little bit less experienced to come in and, and try and, and plug a gap when maybe you're in some sort of of charge. I mean, I mean, God forbid they're in the Champions League running and something happens, you know, what happens then? Um, if you've got better squad depth, uh, that doesn't happen. I just feel they may have let themselves a little bit light. But um, yeah, for Christensen, I would you know, definitely agree with that. Um, he's going to be a Danish star. And why not um, Dortmund pick him up? I've always liked uh, Vestergaard, his uh, his teammates, the uh, the Danish uh, internationals. He's only twenty four. I reckon they could pick him up. But um, we'll 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 do enough uh, speculating. One of the biggest uh, transfers that's uh, happened in the uh, the last week is uh, James Rodriguez, the Colombian captain. Uh, as there's been speculation about him being moving on to uh, several different clubs uh, in the last two years, and uh, he's finally moved to uh, Bayern Munich. Um, I mean, th- this is a massive bit of news for the club and for the Bundesliga. And um, Manu, what, what can you tell us about this? He's, he's went there on loan, hasn't he? Is a two-year loan deal? Um, th- this is huge, right? It is huge, and... Uh... This is a transfer where I thought, I hoped I would have a bit more time because I heard rumblings of this about a week ago. And then uh, I stepped on the plane and when I arrived in Vancouver, I, I had about 25 messengers on my phone and the transfer was done. <laughs> and thankfully, Chris stepped in and um, wrote uh, wrote an excellent article on this on foosballstart.com. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the rumblings in Munich were that Bayern had given up on Alexis Sanchez and they have an excellent business connection to Real Madrid. And, uh, James Rodriguez really wanted to leave Real, you know, because they didn't, didn't feel like he was getting the playing time. He wasn't even in the squad for the Champions League final. 
So the Bayern started structuring this deal and um, Bayern are second to none when it comes to getting a transfer done. You know, when it comes to the speed that they move um, and the quickness that they move and the way that they structure deals and make them feasible, it's unbelievable really what good of a job they do. Because they didn't want to risk, James Rodriguez didn't have the best year last year, so they didn't want to risk spending um, a huge amount of money on him. So they structured a deal where they pay 10 million euros on a loan and in two years time, they can complete the deal for 40. Now that makes it a 50 million euro move if it becomes a complete move, which I think it will. That's still a steal. When you consider that, you know, he was, Real spent what, 70 million euros on him three or four years ago. That's a steal. And I think he's still a really talented player and it's a player that they really needed. But something that's almost gotten kind of fallen off the bandwagon on, on this entire transfer is they also managed to sell Douglas Costa, you know, on a similar deal, a loan deal where they're to Juventus Turin, where they're getting 10 million up front. But the difference is that next year, you, it's a loan to buy deal. And it's not a loan clause that Juventus can trigger. They have to trigger it. So, they managed to sell Douglas Costa in a deal that's worth almost 50 million euros. And remember, they only spent 30 million on Douglas Costa. And this is a player who we thought wasn't good enough, but yet they still managed to get um, a decent amount of money for him. So considering those two deals, and then there's talk, of course, you now Renato Sanchez, he might be gone um, on a transfer plus for them too. Apparently AC Milan are willing to spend in the, in the ballpark of 50 million euros on him. All of a sudden, they have a lot of money um, to their disposal, despite the fact that they brought in James Rodriguez. And this makes it, in my opinion, a remarkable transfer. Because, I mean, Chris, you, you wrote this article on, on the tacticals, on the tactical side of things, of how he can fit in there. And uh, I, I want to give you the floor on that. But I, I think when you, when you just look at it from the business side of things and the way and the speed that Bayern have moved, that is how you do transfers. It's... It's probably like the best way to complete um, a deal. Yeah, very much. I think if we look at uh, at you know James Rodriguez, and um, a lot of people will probably suggest that his time at Real Madrid um, you know, was a, a bit of a failure. But you, you look league wise, seventy seven appearances, twenty eight goals. Sounds all right to me, um, Chris. So what can we expect to see in the uh, Bundesliga? this year from him and um, yeah how, how exactly will he fit in um, tactically that's a big question isn't it how's he going to fit in and, and the article I did on Football Stat it will tell you how um, how flexible he is where he can play you know he's a bit of a utility player on the forward line and Bryce I'm glad you embraced um, the, the the Spanish element there and went from calling him James to James Rodriguez um, you, you, you got drop off those Anglophile pronunciations and just get on. It's James Rodriguez. I know I'm from Liverpool. You've got to be able to from, adapt. You I know you're from, you're from Northern Ireland. I'm from Liverpool, but we've got, that's what he wants to be known as. So we've got, you know, we've got to call him James Rodriguez. Um, what does he do? Well, he can come in and play in a variety of, of areas. But for me, in the, the area I highlighted a little bit where I thought he may um, get more chance is, um, is where Frank Ruberi's been playing, who had a bit of a bad season last season with injuries. Um, and then when he came back from injuries, he was sort of dropped and um, Ancelotti tried out Costa and Coman. Um, Kingsley Coman once 
once Ribery was back and um, there's some really good images of him looking very solemn on the bench and I managed to find an excellent one for the article. Um, he only featured on two occasions. He only played 90 minutes on two occasions in the remaining 13 fixtures when he came back from injury. That says a lot to me. Um, and uh, he was only brought in against the games against Augsburg and Darmstadt, who um, who were no real challenge. Um, so I don't know if that's Ancelotti saying his mind on where um, Ribery will be, but where else he can play, he could challenge um, Iron Robin on the um, right-hand side, which is his preferred position at Real Madrid. Does he get that? I don't think he does because, you know, Bryce, you saw the devastation that Iron Robin can do with your very eyes like Manu and I did um, when we were in Leipzig. And I don't know if Robin's past his prime yet, but he is getting a little older and he may be um, subjected to the same sort of injuries that Ribery picked up. So, you know, if that happens to him, then he can slot into that area on the right-hand side quite easily. Um, and then someone else who may be looking over his shoulder is is Thomas Muller. Um you know, Muller can play in that second striker area that um, that Rodriguez can play in if he had to, um, or um, Muller can also play on the right-hand side if he has to. Um, and I don't know if Thomas Muller just drops down a level in the pecking order for that right-hand side um, slot, depending on whether Ancelotti goes with a 4-2-3-1 or whether he goes with a 4-3-3, and he used a mixture of both throughout last season. So it'll be interesting um, to see how that goes. But as Manu said, it's an excellent, excellent acquisition for them. And it's and he's quite right. It's the sort of, sort of transfer you dream of um, as a supporter, um, not the sort of transfer you dream of as a writer because you have no, um, you have not enough heads up on it um, to get something as good as you want out quickly. But as, as a fan, wow, Bayern fans must have just been over the moon because bang, straight away, signed what? Signed? With two years with an option to buy, unbelievable. And he will bring in um, a mentality of being in and around back-to-back Champions League winners. Now, I know he wasn't in the squad um, for the last one in Cardiff, but he was still in and around that squad. He'll know what it what it needs, um, what it mental mentally what it needs to be a winner. He he knows that he will bring that in. He's a fresh face. Uh, you know, he is a mar- marketing and merchandise dream for Bayern. Um, in South America, which I think is another excellent move for them, by the way. And um, we've talked, you know, on great lengths, the, the sort of following South American players have and for, for them to capture one um, and such a good one. Because let's not forget, although he's been a bit of a bit part player at Real Madrid, he did score one of the best goals that I've ever seen at a World Cup final and the goal that went on to win the, you know, the best goal in the World Cup final. Um, and if he can bring that to the Bundesliga, I'll be a happy man watching Bayern Munich week in, week out. Yeah, Bayern gained one million new followers the first night after signing him on their social media. <laughs> one million new followers. That's, that's incredible. And, uh, I think when you just look at those numbers, uh, James Rodriguez is, you know, we want to sign players because they're good and he is. And, but to have that aspect, that's, that's amazing. You know, and Bayern must be just over the moon with that. But, you know, Chris, um, when, when I saw this and we got the whole sorts because we have the, the football grad network, WhatsApp chat and, um, had to go and sift through all the messengers when I got off my 10 hour flight in Vancouver. But Javier Zavala, who's our South America expert, he said this was the greatest steal 
since Bayern signed Arjen Robin. He couldn't believe it, right? He just, he just was over the moon and said, like, how did they pull this off? Because, um, when you, when we look at it and compare it to transfers, this could be the most significant transfer for Bayern since they brought in Arjen Robin. Definitely. Yeah, and, and Javier was really excited. I think I'm going to, I'm going to match his excitement and, you know, I can't wait. And it's that excitement that has gone straight away. I was asked that day to do something for being sports USA. So straight away, um, you know, the American audience are real keen on, on knowing this guy moving into the Bundesliga. So that's the sort of merchandising doors that will open, um, for Bayern. And don't forget they are already have quite a big foothold in the U S with their, um, their U S Twitter accounts, their U S social media accounts. They do have a big footprint in that area. And it's an area that the Bundesliga has grown in immensely. And that's probably down to Fox sports coverage as well. Um, so them getting a player from the, you know, the continent, the South American continent, you know, the guy, there's a lot of South Americans living in America that watch all the football. And I think it's, a, it's an excellent, excellent acquisition for them from the uh, mer- merchandiser marketing area, as well as is football wise. I mean, if, Whenever I've seen him play, he's he's always played very well for Real Madrid. I was in the Bernabeu for the Champions League game where Liverpool went over and he was one of the starting players. I thought he had a really good game. I thought he was excellent. Um, deserved of his Real Madrid place. And, and now to see him coming to the Bundesliga, I think it's going to be excellent. Yeah, I think we're going to see some absolutely fantastic uh, flair from him, some great goals. And yeah, I think Bayern Munich, as you said, have done a hell of a job at um, well getting they're marketing up with this uh, deal. You know, we talk about how uh, Javier Hernandez uh, and likes, you know, being that international star for from a footballing football loving nation, you know, can can bring a lot of uh, interest and investment to the club. And I, I think it's a fantastic deal as well. Javier and uh, both of you fellas are absolutely spot on, in my opinion. But we're going to wrap it. Actually, before we do wrap it up, I one quick question to both of you. Um, has uh, Anthony Modesk left? Is he is he finally in China now? Yeah, he's there. He's, he's gone. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's gone. gone. That's, that's that's a done deal. The um, John Cordoba breathes the biggest sigh of relief in Cologne, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, would, I would go. Everyone in Cologne is breathing a big sigh of relief. And now that was a transfer saga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. And we reported on it enough. I think it was nice just to finish off the pod with a uh, goodbye, Anthony. Um, but um, yeah, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. We've, we've covered plenty, I feel. And uh, no doubt next week uh, we will as well. Uh, Chris, what have you got going on this week or where can people find you online? In fact, you probably have enough followers by now. I probably shouldn't put that out there. <laughs> um, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, you please feel free. If you want to listen to my rumblings, I'm at um, Chris78Williams. Um, and Bryce, it's, it's madness. It's transfer season. So we're just awaiting ins and outs into the Bundesliga clubs. Yeah, us football fans were, we're absolutely, uh, suckers for transfer, uh, sagas and, uh, and all that, aren't we? Um, but, um, Manu, what have you got going on this week? You're always busy. Uh, what would you like to plug or, um, where can people find you online? Yeah, people can follow me at, at Manuel Ref. Um, Bit of a notorious account, I guess, these days. So, if is you, that your actual account, or is that's that my actual account. account? I do also have a fake account. So, if you want to follow that, go for it. Uh, although I think it has been put out of commission, which is kind of sad. But yeah, if you want to follow me, <laughs> do so. Manuel Vef at uh, Manuel Vef, and then of course, um, you know, a lot of the things that we do, the three of us do, is at Football Grad Live, including this podcast, the Golazo podcast, the Football Grad podcast. 
And then we'll have plenty of articles coming out um, this week. There's Mexican football is starting on the weekend. So uh, Bryce is, you know, we are only a few days away from league football. Russian football is already kicked off. So we got that covered on, on Football Grad Live. And then, of course, transfers and stories and uh, introducing some of the clubs and that are now in the Bundesliga. And so you can find that um, all on Fußballstadt.com. Yeah, very exciting with all the seasons either starting underway or or fast approaching. Um, the only thing I've got to plug, I suppose, is the Golatza podcast. Uh, at the moment, we'll be recording another one uh, midweek after the uh, two cup games of the weekend. And yeah, previewing uh, the start of the season this weekend. Then I'll probably start up my uh, vlogs uh, for football grad uh, once again. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Bryce Dunn 11. Um, yeah, I've been your host, uh, Bryce Dunn. There's a surprise. And yeah, we're going to call it there. Thanks for tuning in. Auf Wiedersehen. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. One gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.